Good morning. My name is Joe Bartimus, one of the pastors at College Park, and I know we've got a lot of people that have been new probably since the last time I spoke, so it's good to see a full auditorium. It's neat to see the things God's been doing at College Park. Um, Mark is with a team in India, so it seemed like it would be a little tough for him to preach here today. Uh, They took off on Thursday and are going to be gone for most of next week, so remember them in prayer if you would. Also, um, I recognize the second service. We're connected with Columbus, Indiana, and I'd like to greet uh, you guys that are down there um, fellowshipping with us in worship. Uh, we're going to continue on in the series in Colossians. As you heard from the reading, I hope your Bibles are open because we're going to go after the text. We're, or did I say Ephesians? Colossians. Yeah. See, I haven't done this for a while. <laughs> The theme, if you've been here for any period of time, the theme is the core, and the core is Jesus Christ, and the message of the book of Colossians is that he's the center, that he's preeminent, that everything revolves around him, that our personal lives, our corporate life, this church, this world, God's at the center of it, whether we recognize it or not, he's the core. I think we all have that down, or at least I hope you do. In the last couple of weeks, there have been some intriguing messages that I hope have been stimulating to you, and I know they have because I've heard some of the talk, uh, where Paul goes into what the theologians have called household codes, or it's dealing with those issues of husband-wife and of parent-child and of master-slave and employer-employee and those kind of things. And and we've been stimulated and we've been challenged. And now as we come to, and it's toward the end of the epistle, we see Paul, and it's vintage Paul, when he completes or concludes epistles, he frequently ends with a lot of imperatives, and imperatives are commands, almost as though, okay, I'm coming to the end, and by the way, it's like when your kid takes off for a while, you say, remember your toothbrush, remember this, do this, do this, do this. And Paul hits us with some a pretty rapid-fire list of imperatives. And we come to those this morning in the text that we're looking at. And I think he makes a little bit of a thought shift between chapter 4, verse 1, where he's continuing on the theme of these different family and personal relationship things and, and relationships. And, and then he moves toward getting your eyes off of just your own specific sphere of life where you live, and let's start looking outward. So that I entitled the sermon that Jesus-focused living will be other-focused living. That if you come to the point where you would say that Jesus Christ really is the center of my life, then what you'll also find, and it's actually a necessary outgrowth of that, will be somehow I look less at myself and my focus is more on others. The two go together. You can't say, Jesus is the center of my life. I love him. I'm all about him, but I don't really give a rip about anybody else. Those two do not go together. They don't equal each other. So what we want to do this morning, and I have kind of an aim, and I like to have points in a sermon, you know. So I only have two this morning, which doesn't mean it's going to be shorter. It just means there's only two rather than three. And I want us to look at two actions which will demonstrate other-focused living, and it's the way Paul unfolds it in this text. And the first action is this, be reaching up in prayer. Now, so far this morning, you've come, we've engaged in worship, and we're continuing on in worship in the sermon. And maybe you were snoozing through sweet hour prayer, (laughs) or maybe you were snoozing while Dale was actually praying, and maybe you were snoozing through, none of you would have been doing that. That's first service that does that. 
Um, you've got to remember the audience you're talking to, right? <laughs> Although I've sat in second service myself, and there are times when you can snooze. Then you, what you want to do is wake up and say, I wish I hadn't snoozed because I ought to be prepared to hear something about prayer. Then that's what Paul's going to go after in this particular text. And it's not a complete statement of prayer, but it's a significant statement. And the statement of prayer is going to be prayer is one who gets there or a prayer is one who gets their eyes off of themselves. And in doing that, they start by reaching up and reaching up in prayer. And let's watch how Paul unfolds this, starting with verse two. Here's what he says in fairly simple, imperatival form, meaning It's a command, not an option. He says, continue steadfastly if you feel like it, if you wouldn't mind. It might be a good idea for you to do this. The form doesn't argue any of that. The form argues this. Do it. That's good imperative. That's good Pauline imperative. Do it. Do this. Continue steadfastly in prayer. That's what we ought to be doing. The, the verb continue steadfastly or that that English is, is one. There's one verb. It's a clear verb. It's a pointed verb. And it's saying and I think the translation continue steadfast is a good translation. It's persevere. It's be devoted. It's saying this, that a person who says and believes and lives with Jesus Christ at the core is going to be a person whose prayer life is consistent. It's steadfast. It perseveres and it's devoted. Which then makes me ask this question. And, you know, part of the problem of preaching is this. I've studied this text a lot more than you have. And, you know, I would be glad for somebody to challenge me with that. And, And frankly, every week Mark studies the text more than I do. So I'm usually on your side of the venue. And as I've studied this text, I've wrestled with that simple statement. That's, and it really is. Continue steadfastly in prayer. I've struggled with the imperatival force, which maybe you don't struggle with imperatival forces, but I do. It's like, it's not an option. It's not if you think it might be a good idea. It's not like, hey, there's certain prayer warriors in the church. It's like church, college park, continue steadfast in prayer. Don't give me the excuses. I mean, Paul doesn't say all that, but that's inferred in imperatival force. (laughs) It's like, you know what it reminds me of? I remember when I was in sixth grade. Some of you can probably remember that. Some of you will experience that someday. Remember in sixth grade, my Sunday school class at church, we had a guy, his name was Bill McCullough, and he taught, he was teaching on the Holy Spirit, and he told us sixth graders that if we would learn some Bible verses about the Holy Spirit, like you're sealed until the day of redemption, that we would get to go on a boat ride at the end of, of, uh, the, le- of the class session, which we all thought, good deal, until we found out it was a rowboat ride. And I remember learning something profound from that, and that is that the enticement may not always be worth the effort. You know, you've got to get more clear details of what the reward really is. And yet I remember this more than that about this guy. It's the only Sunday school teacher that I remember and the content of any elementary Sunday school teacher that I ever sat under or, or was taught by. And I remember the Holy Spirit. And I remember him saying this, that he prayed every day for me. And he said he prayed every day for my brother. And I met him 20 years later, which probably surprises you that I'm 20 years past sixth grade, but I am. (laughs) Frankly, I might even be a little bit more than that. 20 or so, 20 years after, and he looked me in the face and he said, I still pray for you every day. And I hadn't seen him for years when he told me that. And you know what my thought was? This guy knows a little bit about continuing steadfast in prayer. About five years ago, a little over five years ago, my mom died. 
And I know many of you were, it was one of the cool things about being a part of College Park for a long time is I, some of you are new, a lot of you aren't. A lot of you were there, you walked with our family through that. It was a tough, tough time of life. She was a part of College Park Church. And when she died, there were a lot of things that I missed. You know, the thing I missed probably as much as anything when I'm sitting thinking rationally in my mind is that I can guarantee that there was one woman on planet Earth and probably more than one because my wife, I think, is in that She is in that category as well. But I knew my mother prayed like only a mother could pray steadfast, continually in prayer for her kids. Don was in the first service. Both of us can relate to that. There was never a sense of, I don't know, maybe mom forgot us this week. Mom doesn't forget us any week. And you know what? I look at that text, and here's the challenge. When I just confronted with it right off the bat, and I'm confronted with this, church, here's the admonition. And admonition is kind of a, imperative is a better word. Maybe you don't function with that. Here's the command. And it's a command that's motivated by who we're praying to. You know, that, that's what motivates it. It's to say, continue steadfastly in prayer. And then Paul goes on and, and he adds a little participle, whatever that is. Here's what a participle is. It's very simply being watchful in it. So you're continuing steadfastly in prayer and you're doing it in the context of watchfulness. And some have argued that watchfulness may be you're praying and watching the skies to see if the Lord's going to return. And I think there's a little bit of that, but I think it's more this, or I think that's the culmination of watchfulness. You know, in the end of the day, in the end of this day, the end of that day, God's going to return. So if you're watchful every day, you'll be watchful the day he returns. But on those days when he doesn't return, we still ought to be watchful, and our watchfulness should be around this. God Almighty, I'm praying to you, Sovereign King. Lord of glory, and you could come up with a whole lot of things of what it means when you're talking to God, who are you talking to. And then your eyes ought to be open to say, I'm going to watch and see what God does as I pray. You know, when you're not praying, you don't have to be watchful. Because God's not doing anything in response to your prayer because you haven't prayed, right? I mean, if there's, a, there's a formula there that makes sense. And when you are praying, you ought to be praying like this, with eyes wide open. Is that legal? <laughs> Lord, I, I, I want, you know, you remember that, that story in Acts where they're praying for Peter and they were back in the back room on their knees with their eyes closed. And maybe they would have been better served if they had been waiting at the front door with their eyes open saying, God, release Peter. When are you going to, let's watch. That's the nuance of watchfulness. It kind of has this future thrust to it that says prayer really does make a difference. And so when we're praying, we are saying this, God, you are going to do something and I want to see what it is. <laughs> that's the way you ought to pray. You know, that's a little bit more motivational in prayer, isn't it? To think God really is going to respond, that God's going to do something. That'll get you praying. It'll be like, hey, God. <laughs> well, here's the third thing he says, and it's with a little prepositional phrase. I just throw that in for English teachers, you know, and there's a few of you out there. <clears throat> Continuing steadfastly in prayer, being watchful, and then it's with thanksgiving. If you struggle with prayer, let me encourage you with three things. Do it regularly and struggle while you're doing it. Do it watchfully and do it with thanksgiving. And you can do that. You can do that. You really can. That with Thanksgiving reminds me of a number of years ago as the head of the house, the father. It's one of the few 
things that I thought about in that convicting sermon a couple weeks ago when we as men were told we're supposed to be the head of our house just because God says it, just because it's in the text of Scripture. And I was thinking, wow, how much I failed at that. Here's one thing that I'm not sure I succeeded, but at least I like it. And it was a couple years ago, many years, several years ago, I decided on Thanksgiving Day or whenever we celebrate Thanksgiving, which isn't always on Thanksgiving Day, and we sit down and we have this over big meal, you know. It's really cool. It's like the one day that it's Christian to overeat, maybe, and maybe not, but anyway... Here's my rationale. Just eat as much as you want and then exercise a bunch afterward. And that's kind of the, the flip side of it. But I remember saying this. As the head of the house, I'm sitting at the head of the table. And I say this after we eat this sumptuous meal, etc. What are you thankful for this year? And you know what my kids thought the first time I did that? They were like, oh, Dad. Man, we got to think of things that we're thankful for. And then my youngest, who was quick, you know, she's the one who's had to figure out how to navigate life with two older siblings. She immediately says, I'm thankful for family. And then the older kids say, ah, you always pick the easy one, you get it, now what are we going to think of, you know? Yeah, we know we're thankful for family, now we've got to dream up something else. Okay, I'm thankful for my car or my whatever. And here's what's happened, and one of the things that you find about kids is they grow older, which sometimes is good, sometimes is bad. Sometimes you'd like to chop them off and keep them young. Sometimes, in my case, it was kind of nice as they grew older. And I, I remember a couple of years ago where I did the same thing. Okay, what are we thankful for? And the kids, as they got older, found out what I found as I've gotten older. And that is, it's easier to be thankful because the amount of things for which I have to be thankful are, is overwhelming. <laughs> when I sing, great is thy faithfulness, every year of life, and there's a lot of challenges about having extra years on your life. The knees don't work as well. But you know what? Singing great as thy faithfulness is better every year than it was the year before. It is. You know why? Because I've seen God's faithfulness another year and another year and another year and another year and another day and another minute. And if you think, I can't have anything to be thankful for. Then here's what you ought to do. Get in the mirror and slap yourself in the face. <laughs> and if you can't do that, have your wife do it. She'll probably enjoy that. And say, smack me a little bit because God is gracious and that he gives me the ability to smack myself in the face. And we could go on and on, couldn't we? I mean, so prayer. Prayer is this. Steadfast. That may be the hard part. It shouldn't be hard to get our eyes open and say, God Almighty, if you're anything, you're involved in this world. And then to be thankful. As the Christian community who says that Christ is at the center of our life and of reality and of our being, we ought to overflow with thanksgiving so much so that we're so tired at the end of our thanksgiving that we can't remember all those petitions we were going to bring before the Lord. I just, you know, somehow my knee doesn't feel so bad anymore. And I don't say that as though God doesn't bring us through tough times because he certainly does. But you see the pattern. Now, look at the fourth thing Paul says in this text. And this is the one I want to hone in on a little bit this morning. This is the one that jumped out at me on the text. Verse 2 is enough. I mean, you could go out of here after verse 2 and say, All right, Lord, I need to commit myself to doing what only makes sense as one who says that Jesus is the... I need to be praying on a more regular basis. Maybe you ought to be doing like Don Walker, who... Maybe you don't know Don Walker. He had surgery on Friday. And one of the things that bothered him about having surgery on Friday was that he couldn't get up at 5.30 in the morning and pray for an hour at the beginning of every day. And we as elders prayed for him last week. And I'm thinking, yeah, Don, that's good for you. I wish you were too because I'm not. And maybe I should be. 
And, and I hear the same thing from Alma, his wife. And if you don't know Don and Alma, and if you struggle with prayer, go talk to them for like 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 3 minutes. And if you don't know their address, send me an email. I'll get you connected with them. Go visit him in the hospital. I don't think he's in the hospital anymore. There's something about those who have consistently dedicated themselves to prayer. Hey, that's, that's invigorating. And being watchful and being thankful, that's enough. We could go home. Now, here's where Paul goes on, and he makes another statement. And it's in verses 3 through 4, 3 and 4. And he says this, at the same time. So, at the same time, while you're doing that, do this. And, and if I were Paul, because if you, if you listen to Dan's reading of the text, he talked about Paul was in prison. This is one of the prison epistles. Paul wrote it from jail. And, and there's some debate about which jail he was in. In my mind, I think, who cares which, I mean, it matters which jail he was in, I guess. The bottom line is, my first prayer request would be, pray that I get out of jail. <laughs> give me that Monopoly card that gets me out of jail. It, it, or, or I would have said, give me a, you know, pray that I would have a better roommate. He smells. Um, or, or pray for whatever, those kind of things. Here's what he prays for. Look what he prays for. He prays that God may open for us or to us a door for the word. A door for the word. To declare the mystery of Christ. On account of which I'm in prison. I'm here because Christ is, Paul would say, Christ is my center. He's, I'm all about him. For me, for to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. That's what Paul would say. And now what his prayer is, he says, pray this, pray that God Almighty, the sovereign God, the God who opens doors, the only one who opens doors, pray that God will open doors. And some say it was the prison door so he could get out of prison. Could be. I think it's more likely that he's saying doors, maybe even in prison. When I'm talking to guards, when I'm talking to this guy that doesn't smell so good next to me. And then when I get out, that God will open doors and open doors and open doors and open doors. Because if God doesn't open doors, doors don't get open. So he says, let's pray that God will open doors. And then when the door is open, and here's the idea, that I'm going to go through that door that God opened. And if he hadn't opened it, I wouldn't go through it because it would be closed, right? So God, the sovereign God, opened it. I go through it. And when I go through it, I declare, proclaim, preach the glory of the mystery of Christ which Paul had talked about previously in Colossians, and for him, mystery wasn't, hey, nobody can understand. Yes, that's a mystery. Mystery was this, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. So Paul would say, that's the mystery. The mystery is that God Almighty would care about us, and not only care about us, but he would send his son, and in sending his son, he would provide salvation for Jews and Gentiles. That's probably a big part of the mystery. For male and female, for bond and free, for the world would be the proclamation that Jesus Christ has died so that you can experience life. And Paul said, I need to be preaching that mystery. And I need to do it on account. That's why I'm in prison, because I've been doing that. That's what happened. And then look at verse 4. He says that I may make it clear. So when God opens the door and I'm going through, and as I go through that door, I'm proclaiming the mystery of Jesus Christ. And I'm proclaiming it in a way that is clear, which is how I ought to speak. Let me give you an illustration of clarity of the mystery of Jesus Christ, the way Paul would do it. So you can pretend like I'm Paul. I probably need a beard, I guess. I don't know what else I would need. Probably this clothes doesn't quite fit a jail guy. Um, well, sometimes I'm not, I, I, I like coming to church and dressing up because it says we honor God or whatever. But sometimes maybe we ought to come in sackcloth and ashes and saying, God, we... We, we know who we are, 
And now let's know who you are because that better helps us know who we are and who we can become. Well, anyway, here's the way Paul would proclaim it. And, and here's the way he does it in Romans. He would go through that door and he'd say this. And, and make it clear, Paul. You've got to make it clear. Well, here's clear. All have sinned. Three words in English, two words in Greek. And I don't know if Paul spoke in Aramaic or what he, but he wrote in Greek. All have sinned. Is that clear? All have kind of messed up a little bit. A lot of people have maybe not done the best they could possibly do. Um, well, let's define sin. Let's not get... Wait a minute. Here's clear. All have sinned, and sin is this. Have fallen short of the glory of God, who is to be the center of all that is. Here's what all have done, and all in that context means... Did I get all... Just assume that I did. I'll use all the fingers. They're all the fingers. It's pretty simple, pretty clear. Planet Earth, we got a problem. Here's the problem. Sin, sin, problem, warning, warning. Planet Earth, sin is the problem. And unless you think that that's the full statement of the problem, Paul goes on in very clear fashion. And he says, the wages of sin that all have engaged in is death. All right, Paul, maybe it's sickness. The wages of sin is sickness. Or the wages of sin is, you know, it's not the best, but it's not the worst. He said it's the worst that it could possibly be. So planet Earth, we've got a crisis. The crisis is sin. And the result of that crisis is as bad as it can possibly be because it's going to result in death. <laughs> wow. So, so that ratchets it up, and it's pretty clear, right? I mean, those are two really, really clear, simple statements. And then one of the greatest words in all the Bible, I mean, it's a word that just invigorates my soul. <laughs> the wages of sin is death. You know the next word, right? But! That's the next word. Last year, somebody gave me, it was like around Christmas time, this thing with ornaments on it that had but, 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 but. There were nine of them. I love it. My heart is invigorated because you look at the scriptures that say, listen to that. Think about that. Think of the clarity of that. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the church is built on that but. It is. It's built on the but that says the gift of God is eternal life. And it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Paul goes on in the fifth chapter. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty clear, pretty clear. He says this in chapter 5 of Romans. He says, God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, before you started to make that first step toward God, you hadn't made the first step toward God. You'd made 100,000 steps away from God. You were yet a sinner. Christ didn't say, when these guys get their act together, then I'm going to come and help them out a little bit. When they realize how much they need me, when they start moving toward me, then I'm going to move toward them. Here's what Jesus Christ did. When they spit in my face, when they turned their backs on me, when they were sinners and rebels, that's when I came for them. You don't have anything to be thankful for? <laughs> Wait, maybe it's not clear enough. I think Paul made it incredibly clear. And then he really punches it home in the 10th chapter of Romans in one of the most complex chapters in all the Bible. And you want to read complex biblical literature from Paul, read chapter 9, 10, and 11 of Romans. Go for it. 
And then don't call me and ask me for how you answer all the questions in Romans 9, 10, 11. But if you want to sit down over coffee and talk about it, I'd love to do that. Right in the middle of that is Romans 10, and it says this. In one of the most complex texts in all of Scripture, it says, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I think, all right, Paul, how about justification? How about infralapsarianism? How about... Paul, that's pretty clear, isn't it? We've got a problem, planet Earth, it's sin. That problem is fatal. It's a fatal problem. However, but Jesus provides this glorious, phenomenal salvation. Even when we're sinners and rebels, he died for us. Now here's the call to the world. And it's a pretty simple call. And here's what Paul is saying. When the door is open and only God opens the door, and when the sovereign God opens the door, the people of God take Jesus through that door. That's what we do. And we go through that door and we say, we're going to proclaim in clear terms, yeah, there is sin. Sin is real. It's fatal. Christ offers hope. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Tell you what, that's enough to live on too, isn't it? You say, well, that got me to Christ. That's why I'm a Christian. And I'd say, well, I'll tell you what, that better be what causes you to live for Christ. And it better be what ultimately is going to bring you to Christ in that great day. Is the beauty of that clear message. And maybe you're here this morning. I don't know everybody. I imagine most of you have come to that point in time when you've understood that clear message and you've said, you've called out and you said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me for my sin. I trust in you. I put my faith in you. And I'm guessing that there's the possibility some of you are here and you've never done that. And here's what Paul would say. He would say, you know what? There's a good possibility that God in his sovereign grace has opened a door and you've come into this assembly and you've connected with these people. And God's calling out to say, hey, you heard a pretty clear, simple message. What are you going to do with it? And I compel you. Compel? That's the wrong word. I challenge you. I charge you to consider that in your own life. And you know what? Today's a day of salvation. And you ought to be saying, I'm going to call in the name of the Lord. And I want to become one of his children so that he becomes the core and the center of my life. Well, that's what Paul was all about. That's what he wanted. God opened the doors so that I could proclaim this mystery. And yet there's a clarity to the mystery. And the church is founded on the mystery of Jesus Christ. And we gather together and we partake in communion. And you know why we do that? We hold the cup up. We hold the bread up. And we say, this is what we are all about. Or I should say, this is who we are all about. So then we go on living. Because Christ is the center. Christ is the core. Well, I wanted to do a little excursion here, and then I'm going to do a little application. I want to talk a little bit about prayer. Because, <laughs> you know, I think prayer is tough. And Don Walker, notwithstanding, and Alma, and actually I think they would say prayer is tough as well. I find most people I talk to would say, yeah, I understand a lot about Christianity. I noticed your simple statement. I'm into that. I understand all that. But prayer is just, you know, hey, don't we all say... If I were to grow in 2009 or at the end of 2008, I need to grow in my prayer life. Uh, maybe you, I'll say that. And I prepared this sermon. <laughs> and I thought, of how do I deal with prayer? And, and, and sometimes I think, I wonder with prayer, it feels like God is sovereign. He's almighty. He's going to do what he wants. What difference does it make whether I pray? Have you ever wondered that? I, I knew you would never have wondered that. So I thought, there are some people out there that have wondered that. They go to other churches somewhere, I think. <laughs> Or some would say, you know what, I pray to God and I'm looking for him to answer my prayers and he just never does. One of the, one of the reasons there is we never take no as an option. You know, it's like, God, the answer to prayer equals you say yes every time. Which if you're a parent, you say yes every time to your kids. Go listen to the sermons of the last couple of weeks. 
It's not what a loving Heavenly Father does. Well, let me take you through just a couple of lines of, of thought that were encouraging to me over the weekend or yesterday about prayer. God can do what he wills. I, I feel like I could preach a whole sermon on this, which I'm not going to. But if you think God can't do what he wills to do, then I don't know what you think God is. And in prayer, we frequently, I frequently start with myself and I think, what do I think? What do I want? What do I whatever? And here's the way you ought to start with prayer. And here's the way Jesus taught us to pray. Hallowed be your name, which means, God, your name is to be set apart as holy, which means when I start prayer, I look up at you and I say, and I think in my mind, who are you, God? And then I affirm, God, you are the one who is able to do. You can do what you will. You're not impotent. You're omnipotent, meaning you're not bound by any constraints. You're not a God that's in bondage. You're a God that's free to do whatever you want to do, God. Which is really good because whatever God wants to do is really good. Didn't we we sing that? You're not constrained by, "Uh uh-oh, this happened, now i got to do this. God, you do what you want to do. What you want to do is what's really good for you to do. God can do what he wills, and he will do what he wills. That's pretty cool, huh? Maybe that's not as clear as Paul. God has the ability to do what he wills. And the fact is this, that in this world, God will do what he wills. And that causes some people to cringe a little bit. And, and I've, I've read some theologies of people that would say, you know what, God, God, God probably could do what he wills, but he, he, doesn't, he, he reacts to certain things. And so he, 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 God's going to do what he wills to do. And you know what? It, here, here's one of the evidences of that in my own life. I firmly believe that God is going to come back someday. Do you believe that? Amen. I'd I love to hear amen to that. Because if he wasn't coming back, I'd say, man, what are we doing here? God's will is that he's going to return. And I am here to guarantee you that God can do it and he will do it. And I'm also convinced of this, that God says this in the scripture, that God causes all things to work together for good to those that love him. And you get kind of tired of that verse when you're in trouble. Here's why I love that verse. Because God Almighty can do what he wills and he will do what he wills. And what he wills is what's good for you. Now, here's my problem. I'm not sure what God's good will is. Obviously, I struggle with that. And so I'm glad that he conforms me to his image, that he is sovereign. And when you come to prayer, if you think God is anything less than sovereign and capable, then don't waste your time praying. Just go talk to somebody like your neighbor or like your dog or like whoever. <laughs> your cat. Into that. Now, God could do everything by himself. Right? I mean, God's able. He's able, he's able, I know he's able. God could do, he could do it all by himself. I often thought, if God, if I was you, I think I would have taken that option. You know, have you ever tried to get your kids to help you around the house? Hey, I've got a project to do. Come on, kids, we're going to do this together as a family. I can guarantee you this. When you do family projects, there's a couple things that are true. One is, it's going to take a lot longer, and it's not going to be done as well. And, and at the end of the day, it may even take longer than that because you've got to redo it. And yet, if you're a good parent, you're going to say, you know what? My kids are going to clean the toilet. Even if they don't clean it as well as I clean it, they're going to clean the toilet. They are. They're going to learn how to clean that toilet. Someday, maybe they'll clean it as good as I do. Because we're conforming or we're wanting our kids to learn how to engage in relationship with us. And so we think relationship with kids is worth sometimes not being quite as efficient and quite as effective as perhaps we could be. You know what? God could do everything by himself. But here, and this is the beauty of God. 
Because if you think you're better at cleaning toilets than your kids, how many of you think that? You don't even want to raise your hands because then your kids may see that and say, so what's up with that? If you think you're able to do things better than your kids, what do you think God thinks when he looks at us? It's like, (laughs) actually, I don't think that's what he's doing, but if I were him, I'd be saying, all right, all right, this is our plan and it's going to work. God uses means to accomplish his ends. And I think maybe the greatest means that God uses to bring about his will. In other words, God's will happens on earth because God's people pray. And I don't think we have quite the sobriety of that kind of nuancing. That God Almighty, the sovereign God who could do it all by himself, uses us to bring about his will. So church, I'd say this. Maybe we better be on our knees a little bit more. huh? You want to see God working? Well, here's, I think, and, and by the way, this isn't all there is to be said about prayer. So believe me, this isn't the final statement. It's just thoughts that I had over the weekend with this text. We struggle with prayer because we don't always think it matters. I don't. I don't. I honestly don't. Maybe that disqualifies me from being up here preaching about prayer because there are days I honestly am not so sure that it matters. Said that in public. (laughs) You know what? I think the reason for that is because when I pray, I want God to do it. Open my door, God. I've painted the door there. Open it up. And I find it so interesting when I pray for God to open doors that a lot of times it's not the door I wanted him to open. It's like, God, I had door number one. Not door number two. Because I know behind door number one is really a big car. And behind door number two may be suffering and trials. And God, I, I... You picked the wrong door, God, because I want to be God. That's that's really why I struggle with prayer. In the end of the day, it's because I'm an idol worshiper. I worship myself, and I'm praying, God, open doors, and let me tell you what kind of doors. Let me tell you when to open them, God, because i got a schedule here. i got my Palm Pilot, and it's pretty full on this day. If you open it up on the next day, and it's the door I want open, I'm pretty good with that, God. And if you don't, then I don't know what difference it makes whether I pray. Why do you even need me, God, if I can't tell you which door to open? You don't need me. You know, we never say that. But man, is that the way we pray? We want God's job. Here's what our job is. College Park Church, here's the job of College Park Church. And that is to be on our knees praying to the sovereign, almighty God who knows how to open doors and say, God, open doors. And here we are. While we're waiting for you to open doors, we're ready. We're ready. And when we see the door that's open, we're going for that door. And we're bringing Christ with us into that door. <laughs> what a way to live. Only God opens doors per this text. Paul didn't say, pray that God will give me enough muscles to open doors. Did he? He didn't say that. He said, pray that God will open doors. And maybe I could have put the word but there, but I think and works. And he opens doors when we pray. God opens doors when we pray. When I think of we've got 20 people from College Park Church over in India today, Eating, I'm sure, just some delicious. Dale went over there a couple, I don't know if it was last year, and got intensely sick with some stomach thing. And that's in my mind. I think you go to India, you're going to get sick. Let's pray that doesn't happen to those guys. But let's pray this. Let's pray this, church. Let's pray that the 20 people from College Park, just a little group among the, how many, is there a billion people in India? What's the percentage of 20 to a billion? It's like, there's not enough zeros to do that. And you got a decimal point in front of all those zeros, right? Let's pray that God opens doors. And let's pray that it isn't just doors for that trip, because we go to India saying, God, I'm not quite sure what to do with India, but there's a billion people, or however many there are, 
boatload and actually boatload to the boatload degree of people that are over there. God, open that door and then we want to be ready when he opens that door. So we're climbing in, we're charging in and bringing Christ with us, right? And we start that with prayer. Start that with prayer. I love this last point. God opens doors. I'm glad he opens doors. I'm glad he didn't tell us to open doors. You can't do it. You can't do it in your kid's life. You can't do it in your spouse's life. You can't do it in the city's life. You can't do it around the world. But God can, and he does, and we need to be ready. Because when God opens doors for his people, here's what he expects. That his people are going through those doors. They're charging through those doors, and they're bringing Christ with them because he's the center, right? You can't go anywhere without bringing Christ. And so we're charging after the kingdom of God. That, you know, those are some, I don't know, for me, some interesting thoughts about prayer. Which leads me to this, and I want to apply open door praying. You know, we need to be the church that is invigorated as open door praying people. There was a guy after the first service that came up to me and said, he pastored a church for 20 years and he called the church the open door church. And I'm thinking, I hope the doors were open. <laughs> and he said it came out of this text of scripture because they were a church that prayed, and they prayed for the God of the harvest to be opening doors. And it wasn't just open doors so we could peek in. It was open doors so that we can come through and bring Christ, right? Isn't that what it ought to be? It's, I, I've had, on occasion, an opportunity to take, bring visual aids. You know what the visual aid of this text is? I mean, it was easy. It was. I didn't even have to think much about it. This was just hanging around my house, as it were. It's one of those, you know, we remodeled a room, we took the door down and said, someday we may need this. So it's in the garage for like, I don't know how many years, if you look at it. I mean, if you take a door down, when are you going to need it again? It's like, if anybody, I already said this at first service, if you need a door after third service, it's yours. Because if I take it home, it's going to sit in my, although it did work for an illustration, Right. So maybe you'll remember, and and Paul uses it, so I'm not making it up, that there's doors and God Almighty, the sovereign God who wills and is able to do what he wills, he comes and and by prayer. And you've got to get that that connection between the sovereign God who does what he wants and he does it in response to prayer. And we're praying, Lord, open a door of India. And then we're there, right? And we're ready to go through that door and say, God Almighty, we want to proclaim the mystery of Jesus Christ. And we want this door not to fall. (laughs) Let let me give you a couple open door prayers that you can do. And by the way, remember verse 2, which says, be praying continuously. Be praying watchful. So don't pray for God to open doors and then say, huh. Ten years later, you find out God opened a door that I was praying for. You know what? Get your eyes open. Let's listen next week and see if God opened some doors in India this week. I mean, because don't you expect that he's going to do that? Don't you expect he's going to open some doors this week in your life? I mean, if, he's, if, if you don't expect him to do it, don't pray for it. So, so we're praying, and we're praying with watchfulness and being thankful for all the times we've seen God work before. Let me give you just a couple. These are a couple of really good options, opportunities. A couple of weeks ago, we had a kind of an initiative in our missions, um, our missions conference week that was pick a partner. And the reason we said that is because there's two P's, pick, partner. You know, it was kind of cool. Somebody very creative thought of that. Pick a partner so we remember it. The last I heard, 
we, we encourage people to say we've got nine partnerships at College Park. And if, even if you're new here, if you've been here for a couple of weeks, you should have heard of those nine partnerships. And if I weren't up here and feeling a little pressure being in front of all of you, I think I could name them. At least I could get eight or so of them. And, and to pick one of them and to say this, fill out your name. And, and, and the reason for that is so that you can hear a little bit about what God's done in that area. Because you're praying, right? You're praying for, in my case, I'm praying for, you know who I'm praying for? Nicaragua. And, and everybody doesn't need to pray for Nicaragua because we've got nine, right? But a lot of you are. And you're near to my heart, and that's okay. The guys in India, you're near to my heart too, just not quite as near as the Nicaragua guys, because we, we're, we're praying for Porfirio. We're praying for, uh, for, the, for the guys that I recognize a lot of them in that, those pictures. Pick one and sign. We had 40 people sign up. And I'm thinking, man, there's a few more people in College Park than 40. It's like we got 40 in the first five rows here probably of one service out of three. And signing a card, thats God's not saying sign a card. Here's what God is saying. He is. I mean, it's him through Paul to us. And that is that we be committed to pray, that we pray steadfastly, and that we pray that God opens doors. And you can pray real generically and say, oh, God, please open doors. Open them all over the world, God. <laughs> you know, the problem with that is that as you're watchful to see God opening doors all over the world, you're not sure which one he opened in response to your prayer, right? Here's what. You pray for Nicaragua, you pray for India, you pray for Utes, you pray for um, the Amazon, you pray for... Again, if I worked out, I think I could get all nine of them. But pick one. Because if you're like me, one's not bad, nine is just a little bit challenging. You can pick two if you want. And say, I'm going to commit to the next 365 days. Wow. Is that a long time or a short time? It's really not all that long. That I'm going to pray with consistency that God will open doors in Nicaragua, in India, in China, in Cambodia. I'm hoping that these cards are all gone at the end of this service because they're back there. Today is the last day. If you don't do it today, you can never pray to God again. But that's not the point. It's just an initiative that we're trying to work together so we as a community are on the same page. Maybe there's one that's not in the nine you want to be praying for. Just do it. Just do it. And say, God Almighty, if you're not going to intervene in India, we don't have, there's no hope. Forget it. We can raise a million dollars to go to India. And if God Almighty doesn't open the doors in India, the million dollars is on the floor of no value. Our prayer better be that God's opening doors. There's vision trips. If you go out there, you also see, and you see, I'm not the missions guy, but you know what? I don't think missions is about the missions guy. I really don't. I mean, Nate's Mr. Missiologist from my perspective. But I stand next to Nate and say, we got the same call. And I stand next to you and say, we got the same call. That when God opens doors, we better be ready. We better be here saying, all right, I've got the clear message of the mystery of Jesus Christ. When he opens the door at my work, when he opens the door in my family, when he opens the door, wherever it is that he opens the door, here I am. God's opened the door. I better be ready to go. Better be ready to go. And I better be praying that God opens doors. And these vision trips, there's 13 of them next year. And there's a little thing out there called a passport. You ought to take it home. You ought to pray about it. You ought to say, God, is that a way that you're going to give me a better vision so that I can pray on a more regular basis for God to open doors? Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. But I would bet for many of us it is. For some of us it is. Nicaragua kids. I I don't know. If you looked at those pictures and said, those are ugly kids, then I'll pray for you after the service. (laughs) Just come on up and I'll lay my hands on your eyes and say, Something's wrong with your eyes. These kids are incredibly beautiful, and they're beautiful little vipers that are under the curse of sin. 
How's that? Who apart from God's grace are going to be objects of death. But! <laughs> wow, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, is Lord, our Lord. And we ought to be praying for open doors. And one of the ways you could tangibly do that, we have about 260 kids that we support, that we have supported, that are going to the school down there. There's another 30 or so that need support. $25 a month. This sounds like an infomercial. And it's really not. What it is, is saying maybe God will call your family to be praying for a family in Nicaragua that God will open the door and you're there ready saying we can help support them go to school so they can hear about Jesus Christ, so they can learn what they need to learn to cause them to be followers of Christ. They're out there. They're ready. The Brookside Initiative, man, if you don't get excited about the possibility that in Indianapolis, Indiana, God's going to start opening some doors and start opening some doors in places where we don't very often want to go. And tonight, you need to be here tonight. We need to not have enough room here tonight where we're on our knees saying, God Almighty, open the door of Brookside, Indianapolis, Indiana. Because if he doesn't open the doors, I don't care how many buses we take down there. I don't care how big our Christmas offering is. It doesn't matter. This is all just thrown in the wind and it's going to blow all over Indianapolis. But here's what really is cool, and that is if we're in prayer and God's opening doors in Brookside, Indianapolis, and then we back that up with, we're ready, God, when you open that door, we're ready. (laughs) See that? We're ready. (laughs) I need to get a better prop to hold it up in third service. We we need to be praying, and then we need to be ready because God's going to open doors in Brookside. And tonight we're, is going to be part of that prayer initiative. I love, you know, don't you? I like Mark Kroger, frankly. I'll be honest with you, I do. I think God called him to this church, and I'm glad he did. And one of the things that I love as much as anything about Mark is his commitment to prayer and his call to the church that says we're going to be a praying church, so that we monthly pray in these fresh encounter experiences with the idea that God really is at work. And we're going to pray tonight, and we're going to pray with diligence that God opens doors. And then we're going to be ready to charge through those doors, bringing Jesus Christ. Because that's what we're called to do. Fresh encounter service tonight. Well, real quickly, I'm going to go to my second point. <laughs> and the second point is really cool. And it's this. Put legs to your prayers. You know, that sounds like a cliche, too. But look at how Paul describes it. Church, if you think that putting your legs without prayer is going to be effective, you're wrong. Don't give your money if you haven't prayed. Man, I probably shouldn't have said that because maybe you won't give your money now. Let me say it again, though. And Mark can correct me next week if he wants. If you're not going to pray, don't give your money. If you think God needs your money, and that really is what he's waiting for, when the church will finally ante up a half million dollars, then I'm going to do something in Brookside i got to believe God laughs at that kind of logic. He says, I'm going to do something in Brookside when College Park gets on their knees and starts praying for doors to open. And also, when College Park is prepared to respond to the doors that I'm opening and they're there with legs on their feet, or legs on, feet on your legs, anyway, legs on your prayers, when they're saying, the doors open, God, and we're ready, we're ready, we're bringing you in. Now watch how Paul describes these legs or these feet or whatever the analogy is. In verse 5 he says this, Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of time. It's, it's kind of the Pauline way of saying, you know what, an evangelical sometimes can be really good at this. Whether there's a door open or not, they 
break the door down. You know? God, I'm not sure if you open this. I'm breaking it down and I'm charging in with the gospel of the kingdom. And I'm going to beat people up to let them know here's what the kingdom is all about. Da, 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 da. And we have a little bit of a reputation like that, frankly. And some of that probably is not deserved because we're willing to say there is sin and people are going to die. But some of it is deserved because of the way we talk about the world. The world. Those people. Those pagan, evil, awful people. Here's what Paul says. When you're ready to go through that door that I've opened, I've opened it because I'm sovereign. I know what I'm doing and I'm really in control of this thing. And when you go in there, you usher, I usher you into the presence of the outsiders of the world. And as I usher you in there, conduct yourself like a representative of the gracious Jesus. Right? Conduct yourself in such a way that they would say, grace is what I hear when I understand that someone's courageous enough to tell me I'm a sinner because I'm sick of the doctors that tell me i got all these other peripheral little minor things. They tell me i got a fatal flaw. But then they also tell me that God has provided the solution to that fatal flaw. Man. And they do so with that grace that seems to inundate the scripture and seems to inundate Jesus Christ himself. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders. And then the next phrase is, is along with this. Redeeming the time. Take advantage of the time. <laughs> I often wonder why we think God gives us time on planet Earth. Is it so we can eat more? I mean, I'll give you a few more days so you can eat a few more meals. I don't don't think that's it. Or is it so we can watch a few more Colts games? Hey, Lord, let me live another year so I can watch more Colts games. You ever pray like that? Maybe we ought to be praying like this. God, whatever years you give me, let me redeem that those days, that time, to be a proclaimer of your gospel, to conduct myself wisely. Toward those that are outside. <laughs> and, and then here's the next thing he says, and I love this. Now there's be sensitive, that's the term I use there. Be salty. I love this sermon because it gives me illustrations that I really don't even have to dream up. You know, there's this open door, and when God opens the door, I tempted to put that, I am going to put it up and maybe it'll fall for the second time. God opens the door, here's the way we go through with a little salt. A little, a little salt that's going to come into that context so that our verbiage, our words are such that we proclaim the glorious mystery of Jesus Christ. Rather than we go in and we say, all right, we're coming in. Here's salt. And we just, this is salt, by the way. And we just pour, I mean, I, I, I've seen people like that and probably at times I've been like that. Or we go in with no salt at all. Just like, believe Jesus or you're going to die and go to hell. Now I've got to go to the next person. But, you know, put a little salt you know what, you can say that's not what he's talking about. I, then I don't know what it is that he's talking about. He opens the doors and he says, hey, I'm the sovereign king. I'm in charge of this whole thing. Now get busy and do it like I would do it. Uh, yeah, i got a couple of these. You know, let me, let me just tell you how I'm convicted a little bit. In the last election, it's pretty easy for me to determine who's right and wrong in elections. And don't ask me because I'm a pastor and I'm not supposed to tell you. Or something like that. And by the way, I don't necessarily think that's true. But I do think that the point isn't who's the next president of the United States. The point is how do Christians respond to whatever happens. Right? I mean, isn't that the point? (laughs) Maybe God's opened a door with the stock market crash and Christians sit around saying, Oh, woe is me. Woe are we. Nonprofits are never going to make it. I work for a nonprofit organization. If you guys don't give money, I may not have a job next year. 
You, you never thought about that. I just thought I'd let you know. <laughs> You're supposed to laugh at that because I don't think of those kind of terms. But I do think in these kind of terms that we tend to think like that, don't we? And then we proclaim our message like that. And the message ought to be this. Jesus Christ can. We've already heard that. And as a matter of fact, he opens doors. And they're not always the doors we want open. But when he opens the doors, let our speech be seasoned with salt so that we see the opportunities that God presents in open doors like stock market crashes. Like maybe we don't agree with every policy item of every president ever in the history of the United States. It's not about stock markets. It's not about presidents. It's about Jesus Christ. And our lips ought to sound like that. I got a little salt up here if you need it after the service. I got enough for everybody, I think. Here's the last point. Be swift. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how you ought to answer each person. God opens that door. As he opens the door, you go in with a heart, with conduct that's conducive and representative of the grace of God. And as you go through that door with that gracious manner and you have salt on your lips, you know what? The church ought to be able to answer the ultimate questions of life, shouldn't we? And you may say, well, hey, I'm just not as educated as some of you guys. I haven't had Greek. I haven't had Hebrew. And some days I say, praise the Lord, you haven't had Greek. And praise the Lord, you haven't had Hebrew. You know, Paul said he wanted to speak clearly. And I'm convinced his clarity. And and just think of those verses. For all have sinned. You can have 20 years of Greek. And you know how it translates? For all have sinned. And your 20 years of Greek didn't make it any clearer. And we have a clear and sure word from God. And I charge us, College Park, sometimes I hear that, hey, we're too, you know, we're too much of a thinking church and not enough of an acting church or that we spend, you know, we have plenty of Bible studies. You know what, I'm not so sure about that. I'm not sure that we could study God too much. I'm not sure we can know him too well. I say this, spend your life knowing God better. And as you're knowing God better, get busy looking for him opening doors that you pray that he's going to open and go through them and be ready to give an answer. Be ready to give an answer. Don't just say, well, here's my pastor's number. (laughs) It's a church of people that are committed to Christ. Would you bow your heads? There are some cards back there, and I really would encourage you to put feet to your prayers. If you're not praying on a regular basis, and maybe you are, and if you are, that's fine. And you don't have to follow our program because our program is not inspired. Here's what is inspired, and that is the charge that you and I corporately together be praying that God opens doors. And maybe you're good enough to pray for a hundred doors a day. But at least do this. Commit yourself to praying for one. One area. And say, God, that's what I'm going to do. And then, College Park, let's do this. Let's put feet to our prayers. And let's say, God, maybe, maybe you want me to go on a vision trip. Maybe you want me to go to Brookside. Maybe you want, Lord, I'm going to be looking for your open doors and make me ready to respond and to respond the way you would want me to respond. And there may be somebody here today that doesn't know Jesus as your Savior. It's a part of me that hopes that's the case because you know what? The message is clear. We're going to have people up here after the service that would love to talk to you or anyone else that has a spiritual concern. Because you know what? Jesus is able to do it. He is. God is. Prayer is not irrelevant. And if you don't know Christ, here's what he offers. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord can be saved. And we'd love to talk to you about that. Father in heaven, 
I thank you for your kingdom. And, Lord, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, Lord, I pray that we would be a praying church because we believe you are the source of the power. You open doors. God, we can't wait to watch you open doors. And the days you give us on this earth, may we be salt, may we be light, may we be ready to answer. May we be living in a world that realizes that you are doing incredibly, immeasurably greater things than we could ever ask or think. God, we commit ourselves to you. And may we be ready to serve you in Christ's name. Amen. Again, there will be people up here that would be glad to talk to you. Feel free to access them. Thank you and God bless you.